George R.R. R. Martin, Pasties, Marilyn Monroe in a Potato Sack, Walt Disney, and Dead Mothers. It's, it's all here. It's an Open Loops episode with Moxie LaBouche. Get ready. I consider it an affront to my family that you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, okay? Let me let me just lay this out for you. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And, and get this, okay? Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, moolah, from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Open Loops, an intellectually escapist podcast for the escapist intellectual. This is a show celebrating intellectual diversions as a way of life. Conspiracy, mystery, just plain weird. It's got a rightful place here in the three-ring circus of your boundless imagination. My name is Greg Bornstein. I'm your loop master. And today we have Moxie Labouche. Now, she is a normal, let me put it this way, she is a normal person in the sense of she isn't like a mystical healer tapping into the seven chakra system of higher levels of consciousness, uh, speaking to the god power at the ethereal plane, conducting interviews with intergalactic beings from some tenth dimensional essence and channeling that through her. Nah, she's just like a very smart, uh, quick-witted, fun, former burlesque performer and factoid freak. I, nature, I suppose. Um, and, and what I mean by that, I think she's a self-described freak of nature in the sense that she's got tons of things that she knows about and she's just going to throw at you in this episode. I mean, she does a she has an amazing podcast, Your Brain on Facts, and she's got a book. We'll talk a little bit about that. But really, we're going to talk about the weird things she knows, as well as burlesque. It's a topic that I'm very interested in, always interested in learning about old time, old timey forms of entertainment. Um, and, you know, I mean, burlesque is by no means over. However, it, it came from a time that uh, I wax romantic about. So we go into that. We go into a lot of things. The title of this episode is about is about mating and birthing of uh, a spotted hyena. That comes up too, so uh, just be warned. This this isn't you know it, it gets a little it gets a little anatomical on this episode. However, she when she speaks, it's it's so lovely to hear that uh, you know I you're you're going to be soothed by the topping of the. But by, by, by the telling of the mating and birthing uh, experience of these hyenas. So, so I guarantee, stick around. You know what? It's worth it. 
Also, hey, I know she. this is like the story, right? She's got a George R. R. Martin connection. It comes up in the episode. It's awesome. Definitely listen to it. Uh, Moxie LaBouche was fascinating. Here she is. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Moxie LaBouche here, probably the person with my favorite name so far that we've had on the Open Loops podcast. Uh, Now tell me, be be honest, Moxie, is that a stage name? Oh, absolutely. There's only one person lucky enough to be named Moxie, and that's Penn Gillette's daughter. Yes. Yes, it is. That is right. That's right. Uh, so totally a stage name. Uh, yeah. Isn't it? it Labouche is sort of, it's Parisian, right? Well, it's French, certainly. I don't know if you can narrow it down to a specific region. It means the mouth, because I am right. uh, verbose. I am quite the talker, quite the excitable talker. So it was my attempt to warn people from a distance. Now, now we, you have a burlesque background, and we're going to talk about all your work with uh, your, your brain on facts, your podcast, and as well as now your book, which is extended trivia beyond your podcast. Uh, but I'm curious, did this talking reputation, so it, did this stage name, this is a burlesque stage name you came up with? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. And so you were mouthy before. Were the facts and the mouthiness in the burlesque, was it all happening at once? Or were you, was there like Moxie's burlesque period? And then the facts period? No, the, the, the nonstop talking and the love of obscure knowledge, that goes all the way back. My, my, Dad, like that old joke that I waited a year for you to walk and talk, and now I'm still waiting for you to sit down and shut up. Right, uh, right. But when I was little, I was like super, super TV addict. And really? so my punishment would always be that I couldn't have television because I grew up in a rural area. There was nowhere to go anyway, so you couldn't ground me. There's no point. But yeah, they take away the TV. But I was allowed to watch the news and educational programming. And this is pre Discovery Network. You remember that thing that used to run documentaries and educational programs? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so that got me into to watching documentaries and helped spur on an existing uh, love of learning. And my head is just crammed full of these extraneous bits of knowledge that I don't always have an appropriate place for, but that doesn't stop me from shooting them out into the world. You know, like right. I'm... I've been a retail worker my whole life, so I'm ringing up people at the grocery store, and they might not want to hear about uh, how avocados have giant pits because they used to be redistributed by prehistoric ground sloths. They just want me to ring up the damn avocado and let them leave. Is that now? Is that really something you did? You're telling me you actually talk to these oh my, people? Oh, all the time. Oh, so what? So what? I, have, if, I can't. Yeah. I cannot hold the facts in. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're telling me that there'd be a line of people, and they would. Well, not if there was a line, but also, (laughs) also I worked at an Aldi. I don't know if you have those in your region, uh, but we are super fast. It's, it's um, a store where you, you bag your own groceries. So all the cashier does is just shoot it across the belt into the uh, other bass, into another basket. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I was still scanning 1200 items an hour while doing the facts because the hands and the mouth can work independently. Oh my gosh. Did yeah. did people ever come to the store just to see you to check out where they like, I want to well, go? Well, not Moxie just bank? to see me, but I did have people say that they liked coming through my line. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you go to the haircut place and you request the one person. That's sort of, you, you kind of carved a unique niche there, I would think. Well, I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've been retail forever, and about 13 years of that was uh, running my own business. I raised dairy goats, and I made goat milk soap and skincare products that I sold at farmer's markets and craft shows and things. So you got to get really good at talking to people if you want to have food and electricity. Right, right. Well, you know, what's interesting, Moxie, is that I remember, and I'm curious about this, just because I remember there was a kid that went to my high school and middle school who was, um, I, I, I definitely believe he had some issues connecting socially, which, you know, seeing and, and listening to your interviews and and hearing you, it seems like you do have a level of social calibration, which sometimes people that are, you know, these idiot savants, rain men type uh, struggle with. And this kid was like that. I mean, this kid knew he always won the geography bees. He could spit out tons of random facts about U.S. history, but people didn't really know what to do with him. Um, they thought he was sort of a unique, almost like a novelty act in a human. And I'm curious sort of about the way that you operate in the world. Like, did not how well. <laughs> like, how young was it when people were like, you are not normal, Moxie? I mean, it sounds like your dad had stuff to say. When did you start noticing this? Oh, I've always been I've always been different and odd and rambunctious. And I was a tomboy back when we we still had those. You know, yeah, right. And and so I, I always liked what I liked. I was one of those kids who would put together their own outfit of individual things that they liked a great deal, none of which went together at all. Yes, but but because yes. I liked each individual component on its own, to me, it was a perfect outfit. You know, so I've I've always been well, I'm not eccentric because rich people are eccentric. I'm just weird. Right. Were you like, were you, did you have a lot of uh, boys that were your friends or girls typically? Oh, yeah, no, I, I typically associated with the boys because I found girls just even in elementary school just to be too much drama. It, this, the, cat, the cat fighting and the infighting. And then I make the mistake of getting into burlesque and about six weeks in, I'm like, holy crap, it's all freaking girls here. How did I not notice that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, though I, I'd have to say there must be, I feel like it's a very particular type of person that is, I mean, you get all types, but uh, burlesque is a, it tends to have like a weird sort of energy around the performers. I've noticed Well, you're definitely going to be an artistic person to some degree, whether, you know, you perform in other areas of your life or not because you, you do have to get up on stage and perform in front of people and if that's not something you can do naturally or rise to you know obviously you can't do it but there are and there were a number of people I knew and I say past tense because I've, I've retired a couple of years back uh, who in their so they're they're like Clark Kent is shy and bashful and proper but they're Superman right jump up on that stage get clothes off in a second no problem Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a really popular drag queen host uh, down this way, Magnolia Jackson Pickett Burnside, uh, who Magnolia drinks double bourbons, but Justin can't touch him, can't stand him. Uh, what? Now, wait a minute. Does Justin... <laughs> once, once, you get, once you get the wig and the makeup on, once you're in that persona, you know, you're, you're in this whole other world. 
You know, Moxie, I, I do love this because it, it resonates with a lot of the work I've done as a as a hypnotist. Um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of talk about what is stage hypnosis and what happens when people go into trance on stage and the the uh, exhibition <laughs> the exhibitions they do, the, the crazy acts they do. And there's, I, I think it's really a testament to the idea that if given the opportunity in the context, people have a lot inside of them that is just unexpressed, ready to come out. Have you ever uh, in your stage uh, hypnotist career run into a fellow called Doc Voles? I have feel like I've heard of him it, it is a is that a man oh yeah, you said him. fella yeah. uh yeah no no what, what's up with doc well he also is a, a stage hypnotist and performer well he's a hypnotherapist I've, I've gotten that mixed up he is a hypnotherapist as well as being a stage uh magician and performer like he had a flea circus at one point and uh just an all-around cool cat oh that's awesome that's awesome well i imagine that you meet various because uh, I heard you talk in this this other podcast I was listening to about sort of the origins of burlesque. Now, in general, and, and I feel like you're going to have a very opinionated, probably take that you've had to recite for people millions of times before on what burlesque the movie got totally wrong about the art form. It's not burlesque, right? I mean, what what is up when people think burlesque? And then they get to Christina Aguilera. What is the glaring era? Well, they usually there? they usually start with Christina Aguilera is the problem, um, right? And that that informs their perception of it. So when I would run across someone whose only experience with or only exposure to burlesque was that movie, I would be like, okay, that's good. But um, Saturday down at Gallery Five, there is a show. I think you should go and see it. <laughs> yeah, uh, because that movie isn't you know. It's about as authentic as Taco Bell. Right, uh, you know. right. Yeah, what do you think they were thinking with that? Did they think I, they I've could just I've actually slap... never seen the film. Oh, I, interesting. I, I, I know the, the, the through line, and I've heard a number of performers' opinions of it. So um, I'm just like, I, I, I don't tell people that it was necessarily wrong or bad. You know, if you, you like what you like. But maybe come and see an actual live, real, in-the-flesh show. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an amazing art form. I actually went to, I don't know if you've uh, spent time in New York City recently, um, but I went to the Slipper Room for my birthday this year. Uh, very established burlesque oh, yeah. room. And I, there's something about it, Moxie, that takes me to a different world, a different, I mean, they're deliberately doing that. They're creating an environment that's uh, simulating old school, like vaudevillian kind of feel. And I, I just, when I was there, I said, I want to be in this world. I'm not sure what I would do in it. I'm not sure how I'd sustain it. Maybe I would be a host for it or something, but there's something about the aesthetic that really pulled me in that took me uh, back to I don't know, that early, that, that 20th century early entertainment, that sort of body, uh, different aesthetic that I love and, and live for. Uh, did that, is, is that sort of something that attracts you to it? Or what really got you like thinking? Well, I, I can tell you the specific exact moment yeah, uh, please. when it happened. But I do want to say to you, stage hypnosis would slot right in 
Mm. with with burlesque and to the our gentle listener just because we can't go out doesn't mean burlesque isn't happening if you just google around like burlesque virtual show you will find a lot of people are doing their shows online because i know a number of performers who just in the past year or two had been able to transition to performing full-time to support themselves because it's a, a thin a minority that can yeah. and then of course this happens and now they're screwed so oh, there yeah. are there are online shows you can watch for a pittance and hey still tip but yes. um i discovered that burlesque was still a thing because i knew about it from like gypsy rose lee and the uso kind of but i thought it went away after after like the 50s yeah and a friend of mine does the posters or did the posters for a show in town and he said hey i've got two tickets you want to go and i'm like hell yeah i didn't even know burlesque existed anymore and in that show was a uh, performer, now also retired, called Kiki Von Kitsch, who did a number to Manamana. And it. she did it as a big pink fuzzy Muppet. And she had big googly eye pasties with eyelashes. Right, and right. at the end of the routine, she reveals that her fuzzy pink G-string, the front of it, is a mouth. And she sings oh. along to the end of the song. My and gosh. I just, sat there staring up at that painted plywood stage saying, I have got to do this. This is the best thing ever. Oh my gosh. Did you ever think about doing burlesque any time before that? Was that I didn't, ever Well, I didn't head? know it existed prior to that week. Wow. Because burlesque only came back about 10 years ago. It, it um, had its peak in like the 40s and early 50s. And then it died down in the 60s and 70s as... Um, topless bars and strip clubs and, and mail order pornography and all kinds of stuff made it mm. a lot easier to see titties. A lot easier. It was right, made it a lot right. easier to see naked women. Uh, and because the, the original vaudeville shows that spawned burlesque were the comedians and the singers and the chorus girls. And then the strippers just started coming in as like a novelty act. And then to compete, they became the whole show. And, you know, by the late 60s, you couldn't get people to come to a Tuesday matinee of a, a burlesque show. Mm. The market no longer existed for it. So it was almost essentially non-existent through like the, the mid-70s to the year 2000, 2005-ish there. And then some folks in, in the bigger markets like New York began to, to rediscover it and bring it back. And there are some amazing performers there are still some of the original burlesque legends who are still with us um and they're they're honored each year at um uh the burlesque hall of fame out wow. in las vegas so yeah when we're able to travel again and you're headed to vegas definitely stop by Hoff, the burlesque hall of fame and check that out that's awesome i love love vegas love all of that type of stuff for sure uh yeah i, I went to the coney island burlesque about eh, probably about six seven years ago uh, Friday nights they do it and it was it was just again another remarkable different world uh, of entertainment I know like New York City also had this underground circus scene that rose up uh, and I, I really learned about when I was in college at NYU um, but I, I just didn't when you're going to New York City and and I was doing it in 2007 I just thought it was going to be theater and comedians really stand-up comics improv and broadway that's really what i thought and the idea that there was this still this sort of fringe cabaret scene going on circuses burlesque 
Um, probably not, as you said, not that early with burlesque necessarily, but there were still the seeds of that really surprised me. Uh, I wonder, you know, there seems to be a devoted sect of people in America that are really into preserving the, these art forms. Uh, do you find that? Have you engaged with a lot of like old school vaudevillian fans? Oh, oh yeah. I know. I know. I know some, I mean, I, there's a lot of crossover between burlesque and like sideshow. So mm. I know a lot of people who can hammer nails up their nose and stick their tongues in mouse traps and, yeah. and th things of that nature. You get really hard to impress when you hang out with a lot of sideshow people. So when somebody does, <laughs> when somebody does put a really great spin on a routine or something, or, or like there's a mistake in the act, but you can't tell if it was a deliberate mistake or not, you know, like that's genius right there. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, um, I know a lot of people who, who maintain that vaudeville aesthetic. They've got the great big, chunky metal microphone that they perform with on stage and i and love that. The, the period dress and and the whole nine that's great that's great hey look you know i'm talking a lot about this burlesque thing but i can't help but think oh, moxie's got a lot of other things you might want to talk about um well let me stick one more thing in there my, my real claim to fame uh from my burlesque career was it was my distinct privilege to produce the only george rr R. martin approved game of thrones burlesque show and we were actually able to tour it out to his theater in Santa Fe and play for the man himself. He has a theater. Oh yeah. Well, first off, he's got more money than Jesus. So right, you know. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's a uh, a vintage single screen, one hundred seat uh, movie theater in in Santa Fe. It was it's Art Art Deco, and it had fallen into disrepair and was going to be demolished. And he bought it and had it fixed up. And he has a tinted glass booth in the back so he can watch the movies and the events and stuff without being bothered because as soon as people see him, he gets mobbed. And he's, right. he's a very nice fellow and people need to stop hectoring him about the books. He'll, he'll, yes, get, of it, course. he'll get it done eventually, someday. But yes. my, my husband, who is uh, still performing, is, or he will be when the lockdown ends, uh, under the name Dante the Inferno, he actually did a routine as George R.R. R. Martin. Oh my gosh. In front of George R.R. R. Martin. Wow. Which he said was the single most nerve wracking experience of his entire life. <laughs> Did George say anything about it after? Well, he, he, he fairly liked it, which was a dodgy thing because he was, the husband was kind of making fun of him because uh, there was one of the late night comics, late night talk shows was like, we cut now to George R.R. R. Martin working hard on the book. And it's some guy dresses him jumping on a backyard trampoline. Right, right. So we got one of those little round living room aerobics trampolines. Okay, so uh, so Dante did his whole routine bouncing up and down on a trampoline. And he's got the padded belly and the beard and the Greek fisherman cap, the whole nine. There's one bit where he bends forward, pulling off his boxer shorts, his white cotton boxers, and kind of pauses for a minute. Uh, but then when, cause his belly, his belly's covering his groin. And then when he stands up, he's got a smaller pair of boxer shorts on underneath. And Mr. Martin said that was the part where he was kind of nervous. He didn't know what to expect underneath the boxer shorts, but, uh, uh, but then it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he, he also fakes a heart attack during the routine and cause Mr. Martin's also sick of people asking him what's going to happen if you die before you finish it. He's right. taken to, he's taken to just answering that question with the middle finger. Just <laughs> that's giving, good. Giving that's... people the bird when they ask that, yeah. Um, so that that was like my big great. claim to fame, and it's that that thing I need to stop name dropping eventually. I know. I feel that, like you're getting a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah. Well, that and the time I was struck by lightning. That's kind of my two big stories. Yeah. What is? Do you want to briefly touch on that? I mean, oh, I yeah yeah, yeah right. tell I, tell I, us about I've, that. I've told it enough times. Rest assured. Um, uh, I was it was 
time for evening chores. It was raining like hell, a good summer rain. And I was standing at the gate with my hand on the fence, yelling at a goat to come out of the barn, which she didn't want to do because it was raining. When mm. there was this crack, just the loudest sound I had ever heard, sounded like it was three feet above my head. And as I was falling into the mud, I had three distinct thoughts in an instant. Stupid electric fence. I haven't had the electric fence on in a month. Mm. I think I've just been struck by lightning. Oh. And what had happened was the lightning bolt had hit the house, lit it on fire, and then dissipated out through the ground to the fence that I had my hand on. So thankfully, I didn't get the direct strike, but I wasn't able to move that hand for a few minutes. And I actually couldn't do arithmetic and any kind of logic for a couple of weeks. Really? Yeah. Did you see a doctor at all? Nah. Well, I didn't have health insurance, but, but well, no, there wasn't anything demonstrably wrong with me. And the, the things that were offline did come back online on their own, but it has caused me, I believe, some memory problems. So I'll get halfway into an interesting fact and then realize I either don't re- remember the second half of it, or I'm not sure if I screwed up the first, like telling a joke and you've, right. you forgot the punchline or you, you, you're not sure if you messed up the setup. It'll be a lot like that. Some of the files are 404. Uh, so wait a minute. How does this play into your everyday your, your work now? I mean, do you have to have to correct after the fact now? No, no pun intended. I mean, do you have to like do the show and then sometimes you forget or something's wrong and then go back and you're like, wow, that was the lightning. <laughs> well, it's a fully scripted show. Oh, so okay. I, so I'm not doing any of this off the cuff. I know a lot of people can work from bullet points. I am not one of them. I, I want a full script to read off. Um, because I thought when I, st- I started the podcast as a safe way to vent all the useless crap in my brain, right? Not realizing that researching, you know, seven pages worth of script each week was just going to put more stuff in there. So my brain is essentially an encyclopedia, but the pages have all been torn out and are on the floor being shredded by squirrels. Right, right. Oh my gosh. Wait a minute. So what is go? Uh, uh, let's go into your head a little bit. I'm kind of curious about this. Um, I. I also was, you know, well, let me think. How do I put this? You you have a brain that absorbs information. What has this has this been was it useful in school? Let's start there. When I could pay attention, yes. <laughs> Which is is another uh lifelong struggle of mine because people have been like, "Oh, how's this uh this, you know, lockdown, the quarantine time? Are you getting lots of extra work done?" No. No, no, no amount of extra time affects my ADHD. In fact, it probably makes it worse because I, if I don't have short deadlines to work under, nothing gets done. Oh my like, gosh. Don't tell me you need it in a week. I'm not going to start it for six and a half days. Tell me you need it tomorrow morning and I'll Right. So are you the type of person, I mean, what would having you as a teacher be like? What would you teach if you were teaching in a high school class? I don't know if I would do high school college I think, I think could I, be a history I, professor no i think i probably want like fifth graders wow. where they're where they're smart but puberty hasn't kicked in for all of them yet right because then they're just insufferable yeah <laughs> that's true that's true and i know that you you did this web series right where you're teaching a seven-year-old science uh, we were we were trying to teach everyone science yeah science with savannah age seven but It it faded very quickly because I was trying to do a podcast and a web series, which is too much work to add on to what I was already doing. Um, And she lives three counties over, so it's hard to get her over here even before the lockdown. And she also 
cannot focus. So it is very, very <laughs> oh, difficult to get the gosh. script finished, to get, to get through it when, you know, neither one of us can stay on task. And she wants to do all the cliche things she sees on YouTube, like doing scene transitions by reaching her hand toward the camera, which drives yes. me crazy. Yes. <laughs> so you were sort of doing like a modern Mr. Wizard attempt. Yeah, we, we were doing doing sort of a, a King of Random uh, kind of show. It might have developed into something, but we just couldn't, I couldn't get her over here often enough. So would you say the relationship to you and information is kind of like this? Is it like, like if I wanted to learn a lesson from Moxie LaBouche on a certain topic, because you are, it almost sounds like you're, you're not fully, and I, I, I'm just trying to get the landscape of your mind here just because it's very curious to me. Like the first question, is this something that people are like, I want to have a brain like yours, Moxie? Do people tell you that? Oh God, I hope not that. I don't even want this. One. <laughs> I don't even want this one. Um, I, I have had a few people be impressed by the, the obscure knowledge I can pull out of nowhere, you know, but then sometimes I'll have to turn to my husband and be like, do we own a table saw? Because I yes. sincerely can't remember whether or not we own a table saw, which is a conspicuous piece of equipment to forget about. Oh you my god! So you got you got to take the bad with the good. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the thing is, I mean, I find in general that it's hard for me to like when I read a book. It's not like that information all stays there, and that's something I. I've done a lot of research and trying to figure out how to do. Um, but it, I'm trying to figure out for you, like if you read a book and I'm like, okay, Moxie, tell me about the biography of this guy. Can you spit back out the entire contents of that? Have you absorbed it? Or what oh, is no, your not the whole, not the whole thing. Not if it's a full book though, but I'll have some interesting things that I retained from it, you know, to share. They'll probably be burying the lead kind of stuff. It's not going to be the pivotal stuff, but it's going to be this one weird anecdote they included um, you know, stuff right. like that. Um, and I, I'm the sort of person who will ha maybe sometimes have to read the same page three times because somewhere near the top, I zoned out and started thinking about something else, but my eyes just kept tracking down the page. And then when I get to the bottom, <laughs> yes. I realize I have no idea what I just read. No, that no concept whatsoever. So back up to the top. And there are people who legitimately do absorb information better orally. My first husband had some pretty significant dyslexia, so he couldn't read for comprehension. It was just too difficult, but he'd have it the first time he heard it. Mm. So I, um, if I, if I found a book I really liked, I would just read it out loud to him. Cause I couldn't be like, Hey, this is cool. Hand it to him and expect him to read it. You know? So I would just yes. read it out loud to him. Um, he was like training to get his seat, uh, his commercial driver's license. So I read the Department of Transportation manuals to him. That's a dry read right there. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, if I wasn't so intimidated by having to back up a tractor trailer, I would have just taken the test myself at that point. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You had to read this entire thing out loud to him. Yes, I had to read him all the manuals for that because he would be able to absorb it hearing it the first time, whereas reading, it would have taken him a week to get through it because his brain just isn't able to process information visually. Oh my gosh. The way that most people's are. So, you know, and so for a lot of people, the Your Brain on Facts podcast, they're able to, to take that information in more easily than if they were reading it on an article online or in a book. Wow. Is that kind of marriage where you have to read that manual? Is that a contract worth taking for everybody out there? For all the listeners out there that wonder if they should have to read these manuals to their significant others, uh, would, you, would you sign up for it again? 
well, not the rest of the marriage. You'll notice I refer to him as my first husband. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't um, know if it directly played into it. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, that that wasn't that wasn't really a bother. That was just me helping him, you know, to I try to get a better, that. better paying job. That. No, it wasn't <laughs> great, but we do lot we do lots of stuff in a marriage and just in our daily life that's not great. Nobody likes doing the dishes, but we still do them. I know, you know? I, that and, just seems like a long commitment. I mean, for someone like you too, with an attention span. I mean, I got to tell you, I've dated well, I, I've dated a lot of actresses that want to like have me recite lines with them to practice their lines, and even that kills me it, it's a it's a helpful thing if you like the relationship you serve the person but for someone with a brain like mine that just wants to learn all the time uh the, i have to pick and choose my focus tasks do you know what i mean or maybe you didn't even oh yeah <laughs> sorry what were you gonna say well i'm just it was an important thing so i mean it wasn't fun but you know it, he needed to, to run that tractor we were, we were all we were ultimately in the situation together. So that was me being able to help him to get a better paying job, which unfortunately he wasn't able to get because he had had four spinal surgeries and never oh, was able man. to get to the point physically where he could do it. Yeah, but that's going through all of his medical stuff with him is why I have been asked on numerous occasions if I was uh, a nurse or somehow you know in the medical field. Uh, one person asked if I was a doctor and one person asked if I was a vet. I wasn't sure how we got to that point, but okay. Uh, because I just, I know the Latin, wow. I know the order they want the information in. Cause I had just, we'd been to more doctor's appointments than you've had hot dinners. Oh my gosh. Wait a minute. I was going to ask you about the Latin too, because uh, I, I started reading at the beginning of your book where you're talking about animals. And I was thinking, does she, can she spit out all those Latin names? Like, do, is that in your head? If oh, I were to God, ask, not off, not by rote, not by rote, no. How much well, Latin do you have in your head right now that you can just like throw out there, do you think? Ambulo, somewhere? ambulari, ambulawi, ambulatum. <laughs> and that is the extent of it. But no, there, there's some, you know, you'll recognize, oh, okay, I know this prefix looks like this other word, which means this thing, so probably it means that. And the suffix, okay, I know, I know this part means water and that part means, you know, whatever. So you can piece together words you don't know. Well, Scientific names aren't always in Latin because there are uh, almost no rules when it comes to the naming of animals. Uh, it's mm. very, very rigorous when it comes to naming celestial bodies. But it, with animals, it just has to use the um, 26 characters of the English alphabet. Uh, you hear that, Elon? Uh, as yes. well as not being overtly offensive. And I, I could go into a whole thing about baby naming because there are... There are um, different laws about it throughout the world and what you are and are not allowed to name your baby. And I was really surprised that Elon Musk got as far as he did toward the name that he wanted for his baby. But so um, scientific names, see tangents, and then we come back. No, no, I love uh, this. I love can this. can be I, almost I, anything. So there are lots of animals named after uh, celebrities like Barack and Michelle Obama have lots of animals named after them. Um, wow. There's, there's a particular type of, I don't remember, maybe, I think it's a fish, Slardy uh, Bartfasti, which is named after a character in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide for the Galaxy. Because needless to say, a lot of scientists are, actually, are also nerds. So, yes, right. So the, the nerd stuff shows up. Or there was a spider with bright orange hair that was named after David Bowie. You know, things of that, things of that nature. Because they're, they're, they're dynamic people with other interests as well.
What do you think about, what is your thoughts on everybody that named their kid? We're going to really bring this full circle here. Check this out. Uh, that named their daughters Daenerys before the show finished. Before, before, it, before season seven. Yeah, I'm sure they came to regret that because there were Daenerys's, but there were a lot more Khaleesi's. Right. And yeah, right. Khaleesi. And have you I met any of these people? <laughs> like, no, I well, I don't, I don't get out and I don't like kids. So, <laughs> okay, <you> know, great. <laughs> but um, I'd be happy if we could just stop giving little girls Scottish surnames, you know, like Mackenzie and things of that nature <laughs> yes and yes. and there are some places in the world you wouldn't be allowed to do that where you aren't allowed to give a, a child a last name as a first name because there are some countries where you essentially have to apply for your child's name and and there are are rigorous standards and sometimes that's those standards are a good thing because it stops people from naming their children offensive things like adolf hitler or right stupid things like there was a little girl in new zealand who uh when in the midst of a custody dispute, the judge actually made her a ward of the court long enough to allow her to change her name because she was too embarrassed by her name to tell it to anyone. She just wanted to be addressed as Kay. Her name was Tallulah Does the Hula in Hawaii. Oh my god! That's what her parents named her. And, her. and the judge was like, why was this allowed? This was clearly going to be <laughs> to the detriment of the child because a lot of the a lot of the countries that the name cannot be to the child's detriment, and this is obviously to the child's detriment. In yeah. China, they require that it has to be written in um, the simplified Chinese so that it can be uh, scanned by computers on someone's ID. What? Yeah. Wait a minute. What would you name your kid if you had one? Or do you have? I, I don't even no, know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have I have five sisters. I think that just biologically, my body recognized there are a sufficient number of females in this herd. You can sit. <laughs> you can sit this out. Because right. I have, I have. I love my nieces and nephews, but I have never wanted children. If you were to name uh, your sisters' kids, what would you name them? Well, I rename all of them. <laughs> do you? That's well. That's what I do. I, I like to name things. My my first husband would call. He was a big gamer he'd call me into the living room to name his new characters and stuff and all of my pets have like five or seven different names uh most of which are variations on the same the common ones yeah usually um uh, you know like one nephew is named jason but it's spelled with a y in the middle so i just defaulted to using his middle name and then his little brother i call biscuit because he was a little roly-poly baby it was gonna be that it was either that or hambone and then um, <laughs> right. one day I had to pick them up from daycare when they were little and I couldn't remember their actual first names right off the top of my head, which the first time you're picking up the key, someone else's kids from daycare is what? Not, you're not making a real strong case that they should turn <laughs> the children over to you when you can't remember their names. That's crazy, Moxie. I, I love that story. <laughs> um, you know what I, I, I still I still call the little one Biscuit and he's 16 now. Oh my gosh. That, he doesn't that, like it, but I do it. <laughs> that's very sweet though. And you must be, I mean, you must be a cool aunt, I would think. Like, oh, do- I, I am the cool auntie. The boys, the boys learned very quickly that uh, mom doesn't need to know what happened <laughs> at Aunt Mary's house. That's my Christian name. The boy, mom, mom doesn't need to know what happened at Aunt Mary's house this afternoon. What happens at Aunt Mary's house stays at Aunt Mary's house. I, uh, the older one's very artistic, so I've had him... 
uh, help me design costumes and I help, 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 he helped me make pasties because he's got little small fingers. So I'm like, okay, you just follow this line with the rhinestones. So, you know, you, you do that. And then wow. just weird stuff happens around me. Like my sister comes to pick them up one day and I, I mentioned to her, um, you're going to want to put his shirt in cold water before that groundhog blood sets. And she's like, you know what? Oh. Don't even tell me. I don't want to know why there is groundhog blood on my child. Wow. What? Choose not to. <laughs> what had happened was a groundhog had, a groundhog had decided that crossing through the dog pen would be the best way. To, <clears throat> excuse me. A groundhog had decided that walking through the dog pen would be the best mm-hmm. way to get across the yard. And groundhogs are made of meat. And so the dog saw him and jumped on him. And one of them apparently got a piece of him. And then after we, we, you know, got the dogs off the groundhog and it, and it ran away. Um, and then the older nephew pet the dog who I didn't realize had blood on her. And then he's like, oh, and he wipes his hand on his shirt. See, oh my a perfectly cromulent explanation as to why your child has groundhog blood <laughs> on him when you pick him up from my house. Do you ever have normal interviews? You must not. not a, why you- would you bother? <laughs> What I mean, would be the point? It would be a disservice to your gentle listener if I just sat up here, you know, and being like, yeah, 3.5 GPA and uh, married at 25 and holding down a nine to five job. Hell no. Nobody wants to hear that. Well, no, I mean, I think it's very curious. I know you are definitely, uh, your book came out pretty recently, right? Your Brain on Facts, which is the book version with extended facts beyond what you normally talk about on your podcast. Uh, do you want to speak about your podcast? Oh, yeah, two thirds of it. Well, uh, yeah, the, the podcast is uh, your brain on facts. It's your weekly half hour of things you never knew you never knew. And the book version, the full title of which is and I don't know why the publisher went for this. Your brain <laughs> on facts, things you didn't know, things you thought you knew and things you never knew you never knew. It takes up about half the front cover. Um, <laughs> yes, right, right. That about about two thirds of the contents of the book are topics that have never and will never be on the show. So they're only available uh, in the book version. And I do advocate people reach out to their local bookseller safely and see if they're going to be carrying it because they need your love now more than ever. Failing that, you can also order on bookshop.org, which is like a central clearinghouse for indie bookstores. And failing that, there's always Amazon. Yes, of course. Well, that's awesome. And congratulations, because I saw it thank you, thank you. had a, uh, first of all, congrats on having a book. And second, congrats on having a number one new release in the, uh, is it the like trivia or history? I, I think it was thing. actually a historical reference. Historical maybe. reference. Yeah, yeah that's like that. awesome. But a lot of the credit for the book has to go to Emily Prokop from the Story Behind podcast. If you like mine, but you want something shorter and more more narrowly focused, definitely check out the Story Behind because she'll address like one topic over seven to ten minutes. And she had a book uh, by Mango Publishing, and she and I met at a conference because we were sharing a hotel room, and we just became fast friends. And she offered to put me onto her publisher because I had no idea how you would even do that. And I was just picturing lots of emails that never get answered. Right. Um, And so she made that one-to-one connection that is the reason that this book exists. 
Yeah. Well, that that's so great that you're doing that and that you now have a book form of your show. I feel like that's a great path for uh, podcasters in general to eventually have a book that, you know, it gives you the full, also the artwork is pretty cool. I love it. Um, they did, they did that. I, the, <laughs> the logo for the show was me. The logo on the book was all them. What is, what do you think your brain on facts does look like? Like if you were to go inside your brain, what, how would you depict it? Well, mine would probably look like a library and a daycare center went through an earthquake because it's going to be all all toys and shiny things and bits of knowledge all mixed up together. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. Um, so here's what I was wondering, and you know, and I'm going to kind of play like like a circus master on this interview a little bit because I'm curious. Well, we'll start here. Is there something you wished? people asked you about more that you just know a bunch of random things about like what don't you get asked on these interviews enough about well i know a non-zero amount of things about a lot of things so i can usually drop at least one item per topic but there are a couple of topics like the ones in the book that i just you we all have those things that we just never get tired of hearing about you'll 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 stop on any youtube video about this particular thing um, there was in World War II an all-female fighter pilot unit in Russia called the Night Witches, who were hmm. given surplus twenty-year-old wooden, wooden, and, wooden canvas planes. No, no lights, no radios, you know, nothing. Just the planes had just enough oomph to carry the ordnance and the two women, and that was it. And despite having everything stacked against them. They had very low, uh, low losses and were, several of them were given medals as hero of the Soviet Union. They weren't able to participate in the post-war parade because the planes are actually too slow to do the wow. flyover. Um, so the, I love the night witches. I love the spotted hyena, which is the, when you think of a laughing hyena, yeah. spotted hyena. And so picture the ones from the Lion King while I say the rest of this. Um, the mating and birthing of the spotted hyena is especially fascinating. It should, yeah, not just to me, but that. it should be to anybody. Um, now, for those of a gentle constitution, we are going to get medical here. So, you know, viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So it is a female dominant society. They are sexually dimorphic. The females are larger than the males. A male mm -hmm. can never be higher in rank than the lowest female. He will, in fact, automatically be lower than his own pups um but making the pups is kind of a a tall order because the female hyena can look exactly like a male hyena complete with genitalia wow the female spotted hyena has a clitoris that is not strictly analogous to a human clitoris not actually really at all analogous that forms a pseudo penis and can even have a bulge of skin at the bottom that looks like testicles to the point where scientists with anesthetized animals in front of them still aren't sure if they have a male or a female. Now here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> okay, great. That pseudo penis. Yeah. Oh, well-traveled corpses. That's my, in my, the third part of my trifecta, but I'll get into that in a second. Oh, I'm excited. But here's where it gets interesting because the pseudo penis is also the birth canal. Oh my so gosh. First, first the male has to get his penis into the pseudo penis 
from behind. So there's, there's a lot oh, wow. of, of acrobatics involved there and then trying to basically telescope fire hoses, you know, so if, he, if he's lucky <laughs> enough to manage that, <laughs> okay. then um, I'm just trying to take all this in. This is great. Stations only two or three months. Minute Physics also on YouTube did a really good video um, about the spotted hyena. But then the female has to birth a two or three pound pup through the pseudo penis. Oh my God. Which doesn't go well. And in fact, they have an upwards of 40% maternal mortality rate because the pups will become stuck. And the ones, the ones, the ones that they're able to birth will, of course, tear the pseudo penis, which is good for future years because the scar tissue actually stretches more. So it's advantageous if they make it through that first one. Wow. But it's totally common for the pups to get entrapped and die or for the female to die. And you just put together the fact that they can digest bone and they have the second strongest bite strength of any terrestrial animal. And I just, I love how awkwardly assembled they are you know it's Moxie, like this is the greatest burlesque act you've ever described to me <laughs> like you need to come out of retirement and depict this for an entire evening as a burlesque performance i think i think I, some things don't always translate clearly <laughs> in burlesque now anything can be burlesque and i've seen burlesque about just about anything but not everything is as understandable to the audience. This is a mistake I made when I did a routine based on The Last Unicorn, which was a movie I assumed everyone else knew by heart. And uh, like uh, uh. two people got what I was doing and everybody else just sat there politely. It was like, is this art? What are we looking at? It's still going. Wow. You know, so <laughs> yes, you, do have, yes. you do have to be selective because I did mostly nerd-lesque. So we did Game of Thrones and Jim Henson and Archer and all kinds of stuff. Monty Python, all kinds of stuff Love like that. that. Love that. So you've got to make sure that what you were doing is as accessible to the average person on the street as it is satisfying to the hardcore fan. So you can definitely slip some Easter eggs in there for the hardcore fans, but don't make comprehension of the routine dependent on them. Like my husband and I did a routine as uh, Jamie and Cersei Lannister that we've done 50 times. And All I would right. do 50 more times. It's the best thing we ever built. But we had one little moment where he's he's behind me and he just sort of wraps his hand around my throat and holds it there for a few seconds. And you don't necessarily even notice that he's doing it, but it hearkens to the the book and the prophecy of the Valonqar that Cersei was going to be strangled by her younger brother. And she is the oldest of the three children. So huh. we, I really, 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 really wanted to see Nicola Costa-Waldo in the scene of of strangling the only woman he ever loved. But instead, they dropped a building on them. That's okay, too. I mean, that was fine. That was fine. <laughs> right, right, right. This is, I mean, look, this whole pseudo-wang thing you're describing here is fascinating. Wait, I, I apologize for interrupting. So so, so we're getting towards the end of the, or I'm not even sure. You're talking about ripping skin? What, what was ripping? Something was ripping here. The whole pseudo-penis. Okay. Oh, is God. It? Yeah. Okay, great, great. Um, and <laughs> and then what is that? Is that was a well? E either the baby was was born and they both live, or the or the baby got entrapped and the the pup or and or the mother dies. Like I said, they have a super high 
uh, maternal mortality rate. But we were pretty much at the the, the end of the tale of the mating of the spotted oh, hyena. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I don't know what it says about me that I could see that as a great burlesque performance, but uh, what was the third thing? That you, you wreck it, wretched corpses? Well-traveled corpses. Well-traveled Well-traveled corpses. corpses. Yeah. yeah um, if you've never seen it, do set aside a day to watch every video on the Ask a Mortician YouTube channel. This amazing funeral director from LA named Caitlin Doty, who is an advocate for uh, being involved in the death process, having your end of life in order, natural burial, things of that nature. Like her videos took my mother, my old school Catholic mother, from not being able to say death out loud to being like, ah, just put me in the yard in like the span oh, wow. of two weeks. She was like, she became <laughs> totally comfortable with being able to discuss it. So one of, the, one of the series is that Caitlin Doty does is Iconic Corpses. And I find them endlessly fascinating. I love learning more even beyond what uh, she has in her videos. Mm-hmm. So um, like Vladimir Lenin, uh, Ava Perone, who went through three other countries before she was finally uh, buried like 20 years later, Ferdinand Marcos, uh, Sarki Barta, um, a lot of books have been written about her. There's, she's sometimes referred to as the hot and top Venus. She was um, hot and top woman's tribe in Africa. And, and she had steatopegia, which is uh, an, an excessive accumulation of fat on the buttocks and hips, which was, of course, extremely fascinating to European men during the Atlantic slave trade wow. era. So she was actually put on display in like, Picture the circus wagon with the bars that you put a lion in. Yes, yes. That. that. Oh my gosh! Yeah. For a corpse. Yeah. No, well, that was, first. First, while she was alive. Okay, I was going to say what. First, what happened while she here? was well, first while she was alive, and then they made castings of her body, and for whatever reason, her genitalia was also very was different in some way that was fascinating to the men who owned and displayed her. Um, Wow. And, and so her body was exhibited and the cast were exhibited. Um, and there was, uh, there was Juana Pastrana. Um, was it Juana? It was definitely Pastrana. I've got the last name for sure. See, the lightning strike. Yeah, right, she, right, right. Uh, she was from rural Mexico and she had hypertrichosis. So her body was covered in hair, sort of thick black hair. She also had a condition, separate condition that made her gums and lips very thick. Which, which gave her lower face, for lack of a better term, a simian appearance. And mm. in fact, she ended up um, on the sideshow circuit because she'd been ostracized by the people in her village. And I forget if her parents were tricked out of her or just like sold her to get rid of her because she was pariah. Um, right. But the, she was marketed as the, the monkey girl, the ape girl, the bear girl. But she was very intelligent and she was taught to read. She spoke several languages. She could ballet dance. She sang. She seemed to sincerely think people were coming to see her dance and sing, poor dear. And then one of her promoters marries her. We can just assume to keep the competition uh, at bay because if, if he's married to her, he's got exclusive, exclusive rights. And he got a child on her who also had hypertrichosis. So it must've been just dollar signs in his eyes. But unfortunately the baby died soon after birth and um, Pastrana shortly thereafter. 
So he had them stuffed. Wow. He had them taxidermied so he could continue to display them. Oh my gosh. That's and then nuts. and then it Keep gets going. and then it gets sad. Oh. And then okay. it gets sad. Okay. Because the bodies just got misplaced. Like you would think they would have been, you know, at least in a traveling show or a museum or something, but no, they were found in a janitor's closet. Why? And like some kids took the baby's body and like left it in a field and dogs ate it. And, you know, uh, Juana's body was degraded from uh, mishandling. When it, when it was discovered and it became public that her body had been found, and I think at that point it was in like one of the Scandinavian countries. So it was in like nor Northern Europe. And there was uh, a push to repatriate her body to Mexico, to the region of Mexico she was from, which was thankfully successful. And people from all over the world sent flowers to uh, her memorial service when she was finally, finally brought home to where she belonged. Oh my gosh! Wait, I need to know. So this is great. Um, you, you now, what's interesting? I don't know if people ever tell you this, but when you're talking to me, you kind of are putting me in a trance. Well, like, that's why I'm trying to get into voiceover work. So if anybody needs a corporate explainer video, uh, you know, yeah, please. your outgoing <clears throat> voicemail message, audiobook you need read. Just get with Moxie. Yeah. I mean, does your husband, your uh, current husband, uh, let's hope it, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> let's hope it stays that way, obviously. I don't mean current. Just... Uh, that's up to him, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Does, is he ever like, Moxie, speak words to me? Because <laughs> I, I, ima I imagine it would be quite the opposite since he has to live with me. He probably just <laughs> prays for quiet. But um, I also lucked both times into someone who's more of a listener than a talker. So since I'm more of a talker, it all evens out. Just like he is more on the feminine side and I am more on the masculine side. So between us, it all balances out. So like he came into the marriage with a sewing machine. I had two chainsaws. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you had two chainsaws. Wait, is that, is that a metaphor? Or is that literal? No, actual one, one gas, one electric. Oh my gosh. The electric's not as strong, but I have such a hard time with, with pull string equipment. I just, I hate having to restart anything with a pull string. <laughs> Moxie, if I were to just name topics, could you throw out facts for each of them? I could certainly try, but you know, it's, it's always like being on a game show. It's easy to do from home, but it'd be difficult when you're actually on the spot, but let's try it. Yeah. I'm curious. I, I don't know if that's something that interests you. I know there's some people out there that just love when I like spit fire things at them and just get their responses quickly. Well, um, if it doesn't work, we'll just, we'll just cut it out. It <laughs> sounds good. Okay. Tell me, let's go with Walt Disney world. Well, Walt Disney World has systems of underground corridors because there was one day that Walt saw an employee walking with his character head under his arm. Mm. And it made Walt very upset that the illusion was being broken. So all of those underground corridors are so that the guests never see the casts in anything less than full character. Now, those character suits used to require the cast member to wear communal underwear. Huh. Com company company that. issued communal underwear, which they said was properly cleaned between shifts. Right. But considering the number of rashes and cases of crabs that went around, it seems maybe that was not in fact the case. And that particular policy is no longer uh, in effect. Wow. And there's a very, very strong theory uh, also in the world as to why 
so many Disney characters have dead mothers. So many Disney characters. Oh, have let's dead. hear like that. Yeah. Nine, nine out of 10. When Walt, for, Walt Disney first became, began to become successful and started bringing in decent money, he bought his mother a new house. But the furnace in that house was faulty. And she died of carbon monoxide poisoning, huh. which he never got over because he felt guilty because he had bought her the house that killed her. Wow. And so a lot of people theorize, again, theory, that having lost his mother that he was close to and, and the guilt associated with that is why, as a, a dramatic vehicle, so many Disney characters don't have mothers. Very interesting. How about the Ark of the Covenant? If you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and you look really, really close in one scene, you can see on the temple wall, there's a little etching of R2-D2 and C-3PO. Right, right. And I know they did that. I, I can't tell you anything about the actual Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> but I can, I can tell you about Indiana Jones. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, what about... Um... No, no. What's hilarious is somebody deciding to cast a Welshman as an Egyptian because the man who played Sala... Right. Is, is Welsh. And I could just imagine that casting conversation being like, we need an Egyptian. I've got a Welshman. Can he do the accent? <laughs> right. He's got an accent. All right, book him. What about Marilyn Monroe? A reporter once suggested that, a female reporter once suggested that Marilyn Monroe was only considered sexy because she was always wearing expertly tailored high-end dresses. So in response, Monroe did a photo shoot wearing a potato sack. Now, granted, they tucked, they you know sewed it a little narrower at the waist and put some fringe on the bottom. Right. Uh, but yeah, wearing an actual potato sack to prove the point that she was still sexy. That's amazing. Before we wrap, I want to ask one more question. This is very interesting um, to me. Have you? How would someone get out of a parking or? How would someone get out of a ticket from a police officer using one of your facts? Have you done it? And if you were in that situation, how would you? would just barrage them with r tangential randomness until their eyes swum and they gave up but <laughs> no just just be polite and if you can make them laugh that goes a long way have you ever ha has having a random fact on the tip of your tongue ever gotten you out of a jam i don't know i can't remember times when it's been beneficial i can remember a lot of times when the timing was bad and made situations worse because when you're in the <laughs> middle of for example when you're in the middle of a heated argument with someone and you hear the expression devil's advocate and you feel now would be a really good time to explain that the devil's advocate was the person appointed by the vatican to speak against the particular candidate for pope essentially the lawyer for the side of the devil, the devil's advocate. Huh. Because now instead of those two people arguing, now everybody's mad at you. Wow. Moxie, you are you're definitely fascinating. I knew this uh, would be <laughs> I knew this would be an interesting conversation. Uh I I definitely want to recommend that you check out more of Moxie's work at uh, yourbrainonfacts.com, your podcast, get the book, support your local independent bookseller if not bookshop.org or, you know, where the books are sold. Um, so definitely get the book. It's uh, got great ratings so far. And you know what? I, I think you're doing amazing work. Also, voiceover. Listen to her. You could just pay Moxie. I'm sure there's a certain amount of money you would charge people to just hear you. 
uh, all the credit for my speaking voice, for my radio voice, goes to my mother, who was in radio during the 60s and 70s. So regardless of who answered the phone when you called my house growing up, you would hear a radio voice because we all know instinctively how to just drop right into it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, look, is there anything else, uh, you know, you <laughs> would, if there is any random fact, you know, we're going into July 4th weekend, Hamilton just dropped on Disney Plus, huge. Uh, is there any random fact you want to leave us with? What's the most patriotic piece of information you can give us at this time, Moxie? Oh, patriotic. I don't know. Um, I can tell you that July is National Ice Cream Month and National Blueberry Month, and I'm going to be making blueberry ice cream soon, which doesn't do you any good. Oh, and the, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower actually can expand up to half a foot in the summertime. Wow, very interesting. <laughs> oh, well, and the dog days of summer, which falls from the beginning of, of July to the beginning of August, is named for uh, Sirius the dog star. Interesting. Moxie, you've, you've, you've done it again. <laughs> uh, Moxie LaBouche, ladies and gentlemen, your brain on facts. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. That was great fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Moxie. Wow. That was a lot of information, wasn't it? She's got quite a mind. I'm not even sure I want a brain like that, to be honest with you. I do want to be able to take knowledge, absorb it, and then spit it out, but also have it integrate with the previous knowledge that I have in such a way that I have an even more synthesized, better idea than I'm able to communicate with you all about. That's the dream. Moxie's a looper. There's no doubt about that. She can just keep talking, keep talking, and all of a sudden it's, you know, another diversion. Like, she's doing tangents off of her tangents. Very loopy, very looper-like. She fits in with open loops. That's why I had to have her on. Uh, I highly recommend reading her book. But for me, I mean, your brain on facts? I don't think I want that brain. I mean, this is the, the brain I have doesn't just loop into a random fact. What it loops into is a random abstraction of the current moment and situation that puts my humanity away from it, looking at it from above in a way that probably sacrifices vulnerability and ultimately leads to a dreaded form of existentialism on a daily basis. Welcome to the Open Loops Podcast. That's what this is. But if you want something a little less heavy, I definitely recommend listen to your brain on facts. Then come back to Open Loops to think about who you are because you listen to that and cry yourself to sleep. Or take joy in the fact that you can look at things in a new way and expose yourself to new ways of being. And, hey, if you enjoy the show, feel free to like, subscribe, leave a review, Apple Podcasts, it always helps. Moxie was fantastic, wasn't she? Check out, you'll do a good job if you video her burlesque. Uh, you'll see some very interesting stuff. And our TED Talk was great too. So check it out. Moxie LaBouche was fantastic. Thank you all for listening to Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Take care. Thank you.